Chapter Six of the Mysteries of Paris, Volume One. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Elizabeth Clatt. The Mysteries of Paris, Volume One, by Eugene Sue. Chapter Six, Thomas Seaton and the Countess Sarah. The two persons who had just entered the Tapis Franc were quite of another class from those who ordinarily frequented it. One, tall and erect, had hair almost white, black eyebrows and whiskers, a long and tanned face, with a stiff, formal air. His long frock-coat was buttoned up to the throat, à la militaire. We shall call this individual Thomas Seaton. His companion was young, pale, and handsome, and appeared about thirty-one or two years of age. His hair, eyebrows, and eyes were of a deep black, which showed off the more fully the pure whiteness of his face. By his step, the smallness of his stature, and the delicacy of his features, it was easy to detect a woman in male habiliments. This female was the Countess Sarah MacGregor. We will hereafter inform our readers of the motives and events which had brought the Countess and her brother into this cabaret of the Cité. "'Call for something to drink, Thomas, and ask the people here about him. Perhaps they may give us some information,' said Sarah, still speaking English. The man with white hair and black eyebrows sat down at a table, while Sarah was wiping her forehead, and said to the ogress in excellent French, "'Madame, let us have something to drink, if you please.' The entrance of these two persons into the tapis franc had excited universal attention. Their dress, their manners, all announced that they never frequented low drinking-shops, whilst by their restless looks and disturbed countenances it might be judged that some very powerful motives had led them thither. The chourineur, the schoolmaster, and the chouette viewed them with increasing curiosity. Startled by the appearance of such strange customers, the ogress shared in the general surprise. Thomas Seaton, a second time, and with an impatient tone, said, "'We have called for something to drink, ma'am. Pray let us have it.' Mother Ponice, flattered by their courtesy of manner, left her bar, and coming towards her new guests, leaned her arms on their table, and said, "'Will you have a pint of wine in measure, or a bottle?' "'A bottle of wine, glasses, and some water.' The ogress brought the supplies demanded, and Thomas Seaton threw her a five-franc piece, and refused the change which she offered to him. "'Keep it, my good woman, for yourself, and perhaps you will take a glass with us.' "'You're uncommon polite, sir,' looking at the Countess's brother with as much surprise as gratitude. "'But tell me now,' said he, "'we had appointed to meet a friend in a cabaret in this street, and have perhaps mistaken the house in coming here.' "'This is the white rabbit at your service, sir?' "'That's right enough, then,' said Thomas, making a sign to Sarah. "'Yes, it was at the white rabbit that he was to give us the meeting.' "'There are not two white rabbits in this street,' said the ogress, with a toss of her head. "'But what sort of a person was your friend?' "'Tall, slim, and with hair and moustaches of light chestnut,' said Seaton. "'Exactly, exactly, that's the man who has just gone out. A charcoal man, very tall and stout, came in and said a few words to him, and they left together.' "'The very man we want to meet,' said Tom. "'Were they alone here?' inquired Sarah. "'Why, the charcoal man only came in for one moment, but your comrade supped here with the chourineur and goualeuse.' 
and with a nod of her head the ogress pointed out the individual of the party who was still left in the cabaret. Thomas and Sarah turned towards the Chourineur. After contemplating him for a few minutes, Sarah said in English to her companion, "'Do you know this man?' "'No. Carl lost all trace of Rodolph at the entrance of these obscure streets. Seeing Murphy disguised as a charcoal-seller, keeping watch about this cabaret, and constantly peeping through the windows, he was afraid that something wrong was going on, and so came to warn us. Murphy, no doubt, recognized him." During this conversation, held in a very low tone and in a foreign tongue, the schoolmaster said to the Chouette, looking at Tom and Sarah, "'The swell has shelled out a bull to the ogress. It is just twelve, rains and blows like the devil. When they leave the crib we will be on their lay and draw the flat of his blunt. As his mow is with him he'll hold his jaw.' If Tom and Sarah had heard this foul language they would not have understood it, and would not have detected the plot against them. "'Be quiet, Fourline,' answered the Chouette. "'If the cull sings out for the traps, I have my vitriol in my pocket, and will break the file in his patter-box. Nothing like a drink to keep the children from crying,' she added. "'Tell me, darling, shan't we lay hands on Pegriotte the first time we meet with her? And only let me once get her to our place, and I'll rub her chops with my vitriol, and then my lady will no longer be proud of her fine skin.' "'Well said, Chouette. I shall make you my wife some day or other,' said the schoolmaster. "'You have no equal for skill and courage. On that night with the cattle-dealer I had an opportunity of judging of you, and I said, "'Here's the wife for me. She works better than a man.' "'And you said right, Fourline. If the skeleton had had a woman like me at his elbow, he would not have been nabbed with his gully in the dead man's weasand.' He's done up, and now he will not leave the stone-jug except to kiss the headsman's daughter, and be a head shorter." "'What strange language these people talk!' said Sarah, who had involuntarily heard the last few words of the conversation between the schoolmaster and the Chouette. Then she added, pointing to the Chourineur, "'If we ask this man some questions about Rodolphe, perhaps he may be able to answer them.' "'We can but try,' replied Thomas, who said to the Chourineur, "'Comrade, we expected to find in this cabaret a friend of ours. He supped with you, I find. Perhaps as you know him you will tell us which way he has gone.' "'I know him because he gave me a precious good hiding two hours ago, to prevent me from beating Goualeuse.' "'And you have never seen him before?' "'Never. We met by chance in the alley which leads to Bras Rouge's house.' "'Hostess, another bottle of the best,' said Thomas Seaton. Sarah and he had hardly moistened their lips, and their glasses were still full, but Mother Ponice, doubtless anxious to pay proper respect to her own cellar, had frequently filled and emptied hers. "'And put it on the table where that gentleman sits, if he will permit,' added Thomas, who with Sarah seated themselves beside the Chourineur, who was as much astonished as flattered by such politeness. The schoolmaster and the Chouette were talking over their own dark plans in low tones and flash language. The bottle being brought, and Sarah and her brother seated with the Chourineur and the Ogress, who had considered a second invitation as superfluous, the conversation was resumed. "'You told us, my good fellow, that you met our comrade Rodolphe in the house where Bras Rouge lives,' inquired Thomas Seaton, as he hobbed and knobbed with the Chourineur. "'Yes, my good fellow,' replied he as he emptied his glass at a gulp. "'What a singular name is Bras Rouge! What is this Bras Rouge?' "'Il pastique la maltouze,' smuggles," said the Chourineur, in a careless tone, 
and then added, "'This is jolly good wine, Mother Ponice.' "'If you think so, do not spare it, my fine fellow,' said Seaton, and he filled the Chourineur's glass as he spoke. "'Your health, mate,' said he, "'and the health of your little friend, who—but, mum, if my aunt was a man she'd be my uncle, as the proverb says. Ha-ha, you sly rogue, I'm up to you.' Sarah coloured slightly as her brother continued. I did not quite understand what you meant about Bras Rouge. Rodolphe came from his house, no doubt? I told you that Bras Rouge pastique la maltouze. Thomas regarded the Chourineur with an air of surprise. What do you mean by pastique la mal... what do you call it? Pastique la maltouze. He smuggles, I suppose you would call it, but it seems you can't patter flash. My fine fellow, I don't understand what word you say. I see you can't talk slang like Monsieur Rodolphe. Slang? said Thomas Seaton, looking at Sarah with an astonished air. Ah, you are yokels! But Comrade Rodolphe is an out-and-out pal, he is. Though only a fan-painter, yet he is as downy and flash as I myself. Well, since you can't speak this very fine language, I tell you in plain French that Bras Rouge is a smuggler, and besides that, has a small tavern in the Champs-Élysées. I say, without breaking faith, that he is a smuggler, for he makes no secret of it, but owns it under the very nose of the custom-house officers. Find him out, though, if you can. Bras Rouge is a deep one." "'What could Rodolphe want at the house of this man?' asked Sarah. "'Really, sir, or madam, which you please. I know nothing about anything, as true as I drink this glass of wine. I was chaffing to-night with the Goualeuse, who thought I was going to beat her, and she ran up Bras Rouge's alley and I after her. It was as dark as the devil. Instead of hitting Goualeuse, however, I stumbled on Master Rodolphe, who soon gave me better than I sent. Such thumps, and especially those infernal thwacks with his fist at last! My eyes! How hot and heavy they did fall! But he's promised to teach me, and to—and Bras Rouge, what sort of person is he? asked Tom. What goods does he sell? Bras Rouge? Oh, by the holy! He sells everything he is forbidden to sell, and does everything which it is forbidden to do. That's his line, ain't it, Mother Penice? Oh, he's a boy with more than one string to his bow," answered the ogress. He is, besides, principal occupier of a certain house in the Rue du Temple, a rum sort of a house, to be sure. But, mum," added she, fearing to have revealed too much. "'And what is the address of Bras Rouge in that street?' asked Seaton of the Chourineur. "'Number thirteen, sir.' "'Perhaps we may learn something there.' said Seaton in a low voice to his sister. "'I will send Carl thither to-morrow.' "'As you know, Monsieur Rodolphe,' said the Chourineur, "'you may boast the acquaintance of a stout friend and a good fellow. If it had not been for the charcoal man, he would have doubled up the schoolmaster, who was there in the corner with the chouette. By my lord, I can hardly contain myself when I see that old hag, and know how she behaved to the goualeuse. But, patience, a blow delayed is not a blow lost, as the saying is.' The Hôtel de Ville clock struck midnight. The lamp of the tavern only shed a dim and flickering light. Except the Chourineur and his two companions, the schoolmaster and the screech-owl, all the guests of the tapis franc had retired one after the other. The schoolmaster said, in an undertone to the chouette, "'If we go and hide in the alley opposite, we shall see the swells come out and know which road they take. If they turn to the left we can double upon them at the turning of the Rue Saint-Éloi. If to the right, we will wait for them by the ruins close to the tripe-market. There's a large hole close by, and I have a capital idea." The schoolmaster and the chouette then went towards the door. "'You won't then take a drain of nothing to-night?' 
said the ogress. "'No, Mother Ponice, we only came in to take shelter from the rain,' said the schoolmaster, as he and the Chouette went out. End of chapter 6